This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey there, listeners, future callers, and cooking enthusiasts. This is Dinner SOS, the show where we help you save dinner or whatever you're cooking. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious. If you subscribe to the magazine or follow us basically anywhere online, you've probably seen that our annual Best New Restaurants list is out now. This year's list celebrates restaurants all over the country and cuisines from Haitian to Southern comfort food to, if you can believe it, an Indian American sports bar. Today, I sit down with BA restaurant editor Elazar Sontag to learn how the list comes together and what we even mean when we say Best New Restaurant. At its core, like what you're trying to describe and what you're trying to convey is a feeling. And some restaurants that are really delicious don't give you that feeling. And maybe it's because they're just too big or they're too glitzy or something about the design and the aesthetic of the restaurant feels very cold and impersonal. And, you know, the food feels special, but you wouldn't necessarily send your friends and family to go there. Restaurants are really at their best when they magnify or accentuate or complement the the relationships and interactions you're already having in that space. I first spoke with Elzar about this year's list when he was out on the road back in March. I am sitting in my hotel room in Portland, Oregon. It's very rainy outside. I have been here for about a week. And yeah, this is really a lot of of what this trip is, is like sitting in a hotel room for three or four hours and then like running to a restaurant and ordering the whole menu, kind of trying to figure out what role the restaurant plays in the city. He and the rest of the team who determine which restaurants make the list were cramming in as many new restaurants as they could and sampling as many different chefs' work as possible. Which, on the one hand, sounds really fun, but it can also be overwhelming in other respects. Like, it can mean eating multiple dinners in just one night. 2023 is Elazar's second year working on this expansive project. He's now very seasoned, but when he was a rookie... If there was one mistake that really defined the travel I did last year, it's that I didn't plan ahead and invite people to my dinners. And uh-huh, so uh-huh. I was doing almost all of the eating alone, which in terms of portions is fine. You know, you box some food up, you take it to go, you eat it for breakfast the next day. It's actually not that that I find so challenging. It got very, very lonely. And so, yes, this year I've totally changed my approach. I have yet to do a meal alone. With the list done, Elazar finally had some time to pay us a visit in the podcast studio. And we got right into the making of this ambitious list. It really isn't until the full team is back together and we've compared notes and started to see what we all loved and how it all fits together that 
I first have a sense of this really gratifying feeling of like, oh, we're actually going to be able to make a list this year. And, you know, we make a list every year, but I, of course, always have this sort of little anxious voice in the back of my head wondering what would happen if by some absolute crisis there just weren't enough good, good restaurants. restaurants. <laughs> and Hasn't happened yet. No, of course not. And, and it will never happen. Yeah. But I think that, you know, the the reality, the little kernel of truth in there is that until we've sort of joined forces and come back together to talk it through, I really don't know what the list is that we are creating. Yeah. How do you arrive at a understanding of what places you should even be going to? Like, what are you looking at that even dictates, like, your itinerary? Because of the 24 restaurants on the list this year, like, how many total restaurant visits were there? The, the initial list before we actually get on the road is in the hundreds. Yeah. Um, and the person on my team who's almost entirely to thank for sort of creating this database and just this trove of, like, restaurant wisdom and knowledge is Kate Casson, who's really just sort of a genius when it comes to not just tracking restaurant openings, but really, really gleaning, like, what feels special, you know, even when there's very limited information, whether it's a little opening notice on an Instagram page or, you know, an email from a chef or whatever it might be. She just is is really talented at building that very, very wide and pretty deep database. So from there, Best New Restaurants is basically a year-long project. That starts pretty early in the year. And, you know, every week, Kate and I are going back and forth and we're deciding which of those restaurants feel like they have the potential to be unique and feel distinct and like they stand out from the rest. And so we're chatting over Zoom and we're having lunch meetings and we're color coding. It's not a very complex system, but we do color code. You're eating and um, coloring. Perfect. We're, I, we're pretty much. <laughs> it, yeah. It's like, you know, all grown up. And that in some ways is the most important part of the process is just creating sort of our initial research document. Because then when it comes time to actually get on the road, you know, when it's game time, we already have a pretty clear understanding of, one, we know sort of where we need to go. And in each city, we can start to sort of build itineraries. And that's the most difficult and tedious part of the process because you realize silly little things that don't matter to almost anyone. And it's a very, very, you know, tiny little violin. But no restaurants are open on Mondays. And so, uh -huh. you know, you find the cheapest flight going out on a Sunday, and then you spend the first day of your trip, you know, in Charleston or San Francisco or wherever you might be just sort of sitting. <laughs> and then just on waiting. Tuesday, you have three dinners, yeah. right? Because if you don't have three dinners on Tuesday, you're going to be there for, you know, a week because such and such restaurant closes on Wednesdays because that's, you know, staff night. And so it really is just kind of a lot of mapping, whether it's the the research and sort of the, the building of the database or the actual travel, like so much of it is is logistics. And I'm not a logistics guy, but I've, I have fallen in love with the process. <laughs> you know, I midway through the process, it does not feel possible, mm -hmm. you know, that you're going to finish and that you're going to hit all the restaurants on time and what if this one's closed? And sometimes they do and you have to circle back. But, you know, it all happens and it all it all works out. Yeah. Well, and let me be clear. I cannot emphasize the degree to which I am not involved in the making of this list, you know, and, and that's like, honestly, it's great for me because 
ultimately, this list does sort of figure into certain recipes that we, you know, kind of commission from these restaurants. But the recipe portion of the Best New Restaurants list is, you know, a relatively small part of telling their stories, right? We're always going to be a food magazine, and Bon Appetit readers and subscribers and fans love to cook, right? And even if they're not cooking every single recipe, they love knowing that there is this sort of behind-the-curtain look into a kitchen. And I think that, you know, maybe it's not the focus of the restaurant list that we have recipes for every restaurant. We don't. But I do think that it is sort of a bridge for BA readers where there feels to me like something very intimate and special about having these chefs share some of their, you know, I don't want to call them secrets, but but some of what sort of makes the magic sauce, because we love these restaurants. And mostly that just means like we love to sit down and order and have the meal. But to be able to then actually offer something that you can bring into your own home from a few of these restaurants feels huge to me because they're all over the country, right? Like if you're reading from LA, there's two restaurants you can go to on our list this year. But you know, there's 22 that you can't. And to be able to give just like a little bit of that. You know, you're not going to make it to all of these restaurants probably unless you're, you know, like a deadhead and you're going to camp out (laughs) at every single one. Which would be kind of cool. Which would be sick, actually. We're going to take a short break. When we get back, Elazar tells us about the restaurants that got him most excited this year. Hi, friends. I'm Cameron Rogers, mental health advocate, mom of two, content creator, and host of Conversations with Cam. This podcast is dedicated to having honest conversations, prioritizing your well-being, and reminding you that no matter what you're feeling, you are not alone. We'll discuss mental health maintenance, the ups and downs of motherhood, the trials and tribulations of life, and have a lot of fun along the way. Whether you're knee-deep in diapers or just trying to keep your sanity intact, this podcast is for you. Expect laughs, maybe a few tears, and hopefully some breakthroughs along the way. Make sure to subscribe and tune in for new episodes of Conversations with Cam every Wednesday morning. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome back to Dinner SOS. Give me a few instances of a moment where maybe you didn't know a restaurant was going to unequivocally make it onto the list, but you knew you were going to make a strong case for it. You know, I had a lot of those moments, and, you know, mostly those restaurants that I make a really, really strong, you know, impassioned case for do end up on the list. And that's the case for everyone who's involved with the scouting process, because ultimately, mostly what the list is, is a collection of restaurants that made us feel almost like a viscerally positive reaction to. So in the cases where people felt that intensely about a restaurant, you kind of let them you, you, you kind of have it. You kind of got to let them have it because yeah. that is really when we say best new restaurants. Sometimes people leave comments on Instagram or email, and a question that I get is sort of like, "Well, what does the best mean?" And I think that that's a fair question, and there isn't 
such a concrete answer other than that feeling. What does that look like for you? And is it is it sometimes the food? Is it sometimes the vibe? Is it sometimes just the the space itself? Does that feeling travel around between these different attributes? Yeah, I'm, I think for me it has to be all of it, right? It doesn't have to be all of it in equal measure, but, you know, I have to be having just as much of an experience sort of like sitting in the space as I am eating the food. And, you know, the restaurants that maybe don't quite feel like they have a place or don't quite make the cut might be the ones where that imbalance is a little more prominent, where, you know, the vibe of the space is really, really great, but the food isn't sort of quite tuned in yet, right? Because these are a lot of new restaurants. So maybe it's just like not quite there. Mm. But what does it feel like? I think it feels like, you know, sometimes you do walk into a restaurant, or I certainly do, and have a really immediate reaction of just this sense of like, oh, I really like it here. And, you know, it could be anything. It could be the waiter who, you know, sort of greets you at the door is just really, really friendly and and has something nice to say about like your T-shirt, you know, (laughs) or it could be that I like love the posters. For the restaurants, not in New York. Yeah, no, please don't do this. This is not, but, you know, it it really could be almost anything. It could be because restaurants Mm. are just these very experiential places, right? Like you're absorbing all of this, whether you like it or not. And so, You know, the first thing is, obviously, like, the space has to feel good. And to me, that usually means warm. I like a dining room that feels accessible is maybe not the right word, but that feels really inviting. Was there a place that, like, really did that for you this year? Totally. Neng Jr.'s Mm. in Asheville, for me, was, like, immediately. Um, I just did a big snap, if you could You did. That was a double snap. That was, was like, a jazz snap. Yeah. No, and (laughs) I— Hands were out. Yeah. Elbows extended and the and jazz hands. Boom. Yeah, I, that for me is is definitely one of them. Where it's a Filipino restaurant that is very very small. It's got maybe six seats at the little kind of open kitchen chef's counter, and then I want to say like three or four tables just sort of squeezed into what's sort of the dining room, but it's such a small space that it's like you can really turn around and kind of touch every wall. And the chef Silver is just cooking Filipino food that is really, really personal to them. And, you know, I think personal has become almost a buzzword in food because it's like anything that anyone cooks is probably sort of personal to them. But people still talk about it as as though it's this, like, thing that is still kind of new. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, we're all sort of chasing that feeling, right? Like, anyone can say that their cooking is personal. And, you know, who am I to say that it's not? But it can be hard to, I mean, digest that, so to speak. That feeling doesn't always come through for me. And that doesn't mean that it's not there. But, you know, some people are just cooking with a really, really clear, strong, almost like intense point of view. And Silver is one of these people. I was like fascinated. And just as an aside, so Silver, you know, I've never been to Asheville, you know, never eaten Silver's food other than what we've cooked in the test kitchen you know, over the past, like, few years, really. First thing was a ribeye that mm-hmm. Silver did that had this, like, um, shrimp paste kind of, like, based, like, kind of glazed thing. Like, huge flavor, so fun. And then the next thing, and sorry, this is, like, you know, more to the point, it was this long-cooked pork shoulder that just, like, it has this crust made up of of pulsed black rice and all these store-bought fried um, onions and garlic. And, I mean, 
And that I did taste because, um, you know, we tested it here in the test kitchen after we had reopened, you know, post-pandemic. And I mean, it just but the combining, you could literally see the influences of Southern barbecue traditions, but overlaid, you know, with Filipino flavors. And so anyway, like I'm looking at it on the level of like flavors and recipe and, you know, the building blocks that get you there. And yet I've never set foot in the restaurant. No, but you get it, right? And I think that that's the thing is like you're describing the restaurant that I experienced. And that's how clear Silver's cooking, you know, POV is. And I think that, you know, it has all of those things you you just mentioned. It has obviously, you know, the Filipino influence, but then it also has these Southern roots that come through in a lot of the dishes. And, you know, on top of all of that, it also just has this element of fun, right? I feel like that's what makes it feel so distinct to me is that you can tell that the chef is having fun. The dishes are almost whimsical, right? There's yeah. this, like, playfulness. And so I'm just thinking about some of the dishes I had. You know, there was an adobo martini, right? Mm. And it was, I don't even know what got tinctured and what got extracted mm-hmm. and what got, you know, brewed. I don't know how the flavors got in there, but it had garlic. I think it had bay leaf. It had black wow. pepper. And so, you know, it 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 smelled like adobo, right? And it was just delicious, but it was fun. Yeah. And, you know, that's a restaurant that I find exciting, too, because it is, you know, it has two trans owners. And, you know, in addition to being fun, it has a what feels to me like a really distinctly sort of queer point of view, right, in sort of updating these dishes or reimagining them and, you know, playing with what Southern food can be and what Filipino food can be and making the restaurant feel like it sort of just extends from the kitchen into the space in a way that just Mm. feels very I keep saying intentional, but I think that's what it is, is like it didn't feel like anything was just happenstance. And, you know, maybe that was just me loving it so much, but it really felt like they had thought about how everyone was going to sort of feel in the space and they wanted to like account for that. And that to me is the best new restaurant. I love that sort of, is it an analogy, a metaphor? Is it just, I don't even know. Oh, I can't keep the two straight. I I don't know, but like of the kitchen extending into the dining room, you know, and not just because you're hearing somebody yelling or like the clatter of like pots and pans, but just the ethos, you know, the the identity, the the personality. That's really beautiful. Totally. Elzar, is there another place that you feel like you had that same kind of aha moment? You know, where you felt that level of synergy between the kitchen, the dining room, your experience of the two. Totally. I, you know, I, I had it a few times. And every time it really is totally exciting. You know, I've, I've only been doing this job and compiling this list for two cycles now, right? So even if one were to get jaded, I probably wouldn't be jaded yet. <laughs> yeah, yet. <laughs> but but it's, it's really hard to imagine that feeling being something you get tired of. Just the specialness, the uniqueness from one restaurant to the next of like how different a restaurant can be and give you that same sense of like almost euphoria, this like buzzing excitement to be eating in that space. Like the restaurant, of course, is completely different from the last, but the feeling is so similar. I really had... I had that sense across the country, which I feel very lucky for. You know, another restaurant that I felt it really intensely at was Khan, mm. um, Gregory Gorday's restaurant in yep. Portland, Oregon, which is just this very glitzy is not the right word, but dazzling. You know, it's a, very, it? it's a very dazzling new Haitian restaurant. Specifically like a lot of wood-fired. Yeah, cooking, right? very much like from the hearth. Okay. Um, and I didn't know what to expect going into that meal just because, well, one, you know, I never know what to expect going into any meal because, I mean, how the hell could you know anything? But Gregory is already 
sort of this like beloved household name. You know, he's he did his Some top, top chef, chef stint, and, yeah, and you know made it quite far and had a successful cookbook and is just like totally lovable, right? So like everyone loves him because you know you should, right? It's hard not to, and so that's a great thing, but it can make it harder to know what you're really going to get out of the restaurant because sometimes celebrity restaurants are sort of just that, right? Like they're maybe what you imagine and they are still perhaps fantastic, but a little bit impersonal. Like there can be this sense that when the persona or the profile of the person is so large, it can be hard to really, really feel them in the space. Or maybe they're literally not there, you know, <laughs> sure, because it's very often the case. And to be fair, I'm sure, you know, many of those people have a lot to do. So I don't at all fault them. But, you know, that's just to say that going in, I wasn't sure how much the sort of story of the restaurant and the kind of way that I had it in my mind would be reflected in my meal. And it was like totally 100% Gregory, like through and through. I mean, for one, he's in the kitchen and you can really watch him turn out all of the food. So the food has that same very distinct point of view that I was talking about. You know, it's his vision of Haitian cooking. And I don't know if it's strictly traditional. I think that's probably thorny to begin with, but it is clear how much respect he has for the food that he's cooking and how important it is to him that he conveys sort of this image and vision of Haitian food, both to Haitians and non-Haitians alike, to like really impress upon people how incredible this food is and to sort of like welcome people into this food culture who might not be familiar with it. And that's actually a really challenging thing to do. And it's a tall order. You know, no one person should or could be responsible for that. But he just is cooking with so much pride, and he's an incredible cook. So every dish he makes is, like, the best version you've had. Mm. It's, it just was totally delightful. Wow. It really that. was. And there's a cocktail bar below it. So it's like by the time you get there, you're like, you know, I mean, you're not drunk because you're still doing your job. Of course. Of course. But you could be. You could be. And it just it's just another restaurant that feels fun. And I think that that is sort of what stuck with me this year is, like, the restaurants that I loved the most were the ones that felt really fun. And I don't just mean sort of like, oh, like a disco ball or like there's something fun quirky wallpaper. on the wall. Yeah. yeah. Like that, you know, can be part of it. But, you know, whether it was was Nang Jr.'s or Khan or, you know, in San Francisco, there is Shuggies, which is this uh -huh. like kind of kaleidoscopic, euphoric, like hypnotically bizarre. Oh, I saw the photos. <laughs> super bright. You have to see the photos to I, believe yeah, it. Yeah, you're going to have to look that one up. Yeah, you know, it, you just have to look it up. But, you know, and they're doing incredible things with food waste and, like, they're making their pizza dough with the, you know, byproduct of, like, oat milk, you know, and it's, like, it's fun, but it's also serious and they want you to take this food seriously. And those were the meals that really stood out to me where it just felt like there was sort of some whimsy and there was this lightness of touch, right, where people weren't taking themselves too seriously, even though they were trying trying to convey a really strong point of view. And like when it comes across and you can balance those two things, it's kind of magical. Are there other things that you felt like, oh, there's this like picture that's like coming together of like what this year's kind of like new restaurants kind of look and feel like? Are there other kind of common threads there? Totally. Yeah. And I think, you know, those trends are both big and very small, but some of the small ones feel interesting or important to me too. You know, I think counter service still stands out in my mind as one of the big ones. And when you say counter service, yes. what you mean is you're putting in an order at a counter and then your food is coming out to you at a table? Or not, 
right. or so not, like, or you're just eating at the counter as well. So, oh, I see what you're saying. You know so, what I mean? Yeah, so I think it's some mixture of mostly these restaurants still have, you know, a kind of traditional dining room, but you're ordering at the counter. In some cases, you're actually going back to the counter to pick up your food. Oh, okay. It's a very pared down front of house staff. Gotcha. And, you know, the reason that I think that's interesting and, and potentially sort of significant is because to me that feels like this invention of post-pandemic restaurant culture where, you know, restaurants are still trying to remain slim enough in their operating costs that they can be profitable. You know, I think most people who pay attention to restaurants know that it hasn't become easier to run a restaurant these days. But that, you know, I used to associate counter service restaurants with like pretty much fast casual, right? It was, if it wasn't sweet green, it was sort of sweet green-esque. And you pointed at ingredients and they put them in the bowl and then they asked if you wanted them tossed or chopped. And that's really not what's happening at these restaurants. You know, these are still places where the chefs are taking their food really seriously and the dishes that are coming out in some cases like still look like the kind of food you would get at you know, a pretty fancy restaurant where it's very carefully plated and there's, you know, a dainty little dot of sauce. And I mean, God forbid there's a tweezer, but, you know, there's still this thought and care that's being put into the food, but it's a model that restaurants can actually work with. So, you know, that's almost sort of an operational trend that I've seen that I actually really like. Other ones, you know, seafood really is is having a moment. I, I recognize that sounds ridiculous because it's like, dude, it's seafood. It's like always having a moment. It's shrimp. But it does seem like chefs are sort of wanting to do more with seafood right now. And so it's not necessarily that like more places are offering seafood, you know, fish, shrimp, shellfish, whatever is mm. a constant. But the restaurants that do seafood that are on our list this year are really just sort of trying to push the boundaries a little bit, push the envelope. And so some of them are, you know, dry curing fish and they're actually experimenting with like, what does the aging process do to, you know, the flavor and texture of fish? And then some of it is a little bit less complicated. You know, there's a an incredible restaurant that's just specializing in like really incredible mezcal and great seafood that goes with it. And you'd think that there would be a ton of that in New York, but there's not. And so it sort of feels like an oasis in this city. And those sorts of restaurants just happened to be really exciting this year. And then, you know, when we all got back and compared notes, it was like, is this going to be too much seafood? And I was sort of like, no, there's no, like, you can't have too much seafood. Like, this is what restaurants look like right now. And it's fun and it's fresh. And people are thinking about sustainability, right? Like, that's huge. What does it mean to be, you know, a seafood restaurant in 2023? I think people are actually trying to answer those questions. So it, it feels timely and it feels important. Yeah, when you mentioned seafood, you know, when you kind of came back, especially as it pertains to recipes, right? And what recipes to run from at least a handful of the best new restaurants. You know, I kind of, it gave me a bit of pause just because, you know, we know just Anna Anecdotally, that there's certain things that people want to eat in restaurants, and mm -hmm. then there's the things that people want to make in their own kitchens, right? And they're often like quite different, right? So when we were thinking about, you know, some of the recipes that might readily translate from this cohort of restaurants into the home cook space this year, we only ended up, I think, doing 
10 recipes, you know, out of all the best new restaurants, because we just wanted to make sure we were offering things that we really felt were singular, were worth people seeking out and doing themselves. And also, to your point, you know, that tells some of the story of those restaurants, right? Because sometimes it's it's really in the details, right? Yeah. And that's certainly how I've learned so much, you know, from chefs over the years. It's Sometimes it's working with them directly one-on-one, but sometimes it's just from cooking through their recipes and getting a sense of how their mind is operating, the influences they're drawing on, the techniques they're employing, you know, and the realization of that food. This is all just actually a big wind-up because what yeah, I no, want to know— Because what I want to know is, you know, you ultimately tried some of these dishes in the yeah. test kitchen, right, that we recreated. How did we do? What does it look like on your end when, you know, you've seen the version in the restaurant and ours is necessarily different because in many cases we've deliberately simplified the dish, but hopefully not to the point where we've made it lose its meaning, right? And we've captured the essence of what it was trying to say in its context, but adapted for a home cook. So I'm just curious what what that looks like from your side of things. Yeah, I mean, not to give you such a short anticlimactic answer to your very long question, but, you know, you did great. <laughs> Um, no, you really <laughs> did. Well, you should. And, you know, I think that that's because you've been doing this a pretty long time. And I think you actually, you say that you're not so involved with the creation of best new restaurants. And that might be true. But I get the sense, just as a, as a coworker, a friend even, that you still feel really invested in it. Like, I know it's a project that you care about. So the way that you approach the recipe you know, curation and development for these restaurant recipes, it just has that thought in it, right? It would be easy to F these recipes up because even if the end point was delicious, you know, there is such a high risk that it just doesn't really resemble anything, right? It's like sort of vaguely inspired by a restaurant dish, but not necessarily in a way that that really evokes like the spirit of a restaurant. I mean, that's a hard thing to do. And I think that, you know, you and your team you're going into this process like asking those questions. And so my perception sort of being an outsider to the test kitchen process is that you were also very thoughtful about not picking recipes that you wouldn't be able to convey, you know, in the language of a home cook. But you've done the work of really thoughtfully collecting those recipes that are in that sort of liminal space between home and restaurant that feel accessible, but also, you know, do have sort of the mind and the eye of a chef. And so I think you guys did great, you know, and even down to the presentation, like I've talked to folks on your team and I know that they were going back and forth with the chefs and sort of talking about, would you be comfortable if it was presented like this? And we have made some slight changes to things. And so does this still feel like it sort of represents you? And I think that the answers were mostly yes. And I mean, I'm, I'm delighted. I think it totally comes through and I might make the list, but maybe my favorite part of sort of the end product is, is that we have these recipes because they do feel like something that are sort of like a capsule of a moment in time, right? Like these were the dishes that, you know, not all dishes are necessarily connected to sort of a time or a trend or a movement, but to be able to say sort of like, this is what restaurant culture tasted like in 2023 and like you can bring it into your kitchen. I mean, I think that's pretty cool. In years past, I think we tried to leave the restaurant dishes a little bit more alone. Um, I think we were trying to be, you know, even more faithful still in terms of presenting, you know, dishes from the best new restaurants, you know, much as they might appear in their context, but ultimately found that they just weren't the recipes that were as accessible to our audience. But all that to say, like, as a cook, 
Even those recipes in years past that I knew at the time, you know, maybe this isn't going to appeal to everyone, you know, something to make in their own home. Like, wow, what a way to learn. I loved it. I totally. love that we were willing to to pursue things all the way. And I still remember, you know, so many of the collaborations I did, you know, with chefs, like getting to see them really in their own kitchens, places like Kefico in San Francisco or um, Ugly Baby in Brooklyn, Bad Saint in Washington, D.C., and many others, you know, where I got this window mm. into how the chefs were thinking, how they were cooking, and just to even recreate you know, those dishes with as much fidelity as possible, even if it meant making them not as accessible, was still a really gratifying experience in and of itself. And I think this year, you know, we're just trying to be so mindful of putting ourselves in a position where we feel like, okay, there's a good intersection here, right? In terms of, you know, showcasing the intent of these dishes as they exist at these restaurants, but also making sure, like, they're going to be captivating for people. Like the Mamou Steak au Poivre, you know, it's totally. this hulking beast of reverse seared ribeye and, you know, with this, like, wonderful sauce. There was a lot of back and forth about it. I mean, there was just so many details in terms of like what are the raw ingredients they're using what are the techniques the cookie dough pie from bro mm. you know again it's like has that like the captivating name you know i think it's like it's a dish that's going to appeal to so many people but so many details about how it comes together the tuna carnitas from for me, yeah from yeah. este you know you're just like oh my gosh no and i i think that you know i i have a lot of faith that our our readers are very smart, and they know what they're looking at, right? And they understand that, again, if you want to try exactly the dish as it is prepared and as it is garnished at Este, then your best bet is to book a ticket to Austin and, like, go to Este. But what you're offering is, it's an interpretation, but it is also this cool thing where it's like you and your team get to sort of be the conduit. Taking the wisdom of these chefs and their, you know, ingenious recipes and bringing it to a point where it's like a home cook can actually just take it, rip it out of the magazine if, you know, we're allowed to tell people to do that and and just be like, hey, thanks, I can make this. We're going to take another break. When we're back, I'll take Elazar through a lightning round. Here at Dinner SOS, we love tackling your kitchen issues. But what if I told you there's a way to rescue dinner before it turns into an emergency? With expert insights from the test kitchen, cooking and entertaining tips, and a treasury of over 50,000 recipes, Bon Appetit and Epicurious are your lifelines to rescue any meal. And right now, our listeners can get 20% off an annual digital subscription including access to the user-friendly Epicurious app. Just use code SOS20 at bonappetit.com. That's SOS20 for a 20% discount on an annual digital subscription to Bon Appetit and Epicurious. Happy cooking. And don't worry, I'll still be here if your dinner plan self-destructs. So this is me playing hardball with you now. This is a list of best new restaurants in America, right? What about the fact that some restaurants 
get better over time. You know, some restaurants come into their own in year two or year three or only truly become institutions or neighborhood anchors after, you know, half a decade, decade, you know, of existence. What does that mean? You know, like, do we need to find like a different way of talking about restaurants, you know, or like have like a different sort of tentpole to encompass the sort of work being done by places that are in year two and beyond? Yeah, I mean, that's a really, really good question. My really short answer is no. Best New Restaurants is about restaurants that really are kind of at their prime coming out of the gate, right? They come out swinging, and they just have this sharpness and this distinct point of view. That's what this list is about, you know, but it's not a catch-all, and it's not exhaustive, and it isn't the only resource. And so I think it's a really, really smart question because it also sort of gets at this question of, like, how should you use a Best New Restaurants list, right? Like, if there's two restaurants in L.A. on our Best New Restaurants list, like, those obviously aren't the only two incredible restaurants in L.A., In terms of how I sort of account for the restaurants that get better with time, I mean, it haunts me in small part just because you always sort of wonder, did I just have a a rough night at that restaurant? You know, maybe it was just off. You know, there's so many things that can happen. Frankly, the reason I don't worry so much about that element of the equation is because, you know, Bon Appetit is not just one list. You know, I run a restaurant section that covers a vast array of topics, and we publish so much other than this one list. We have dining guides, and we have travel stories, and so Mm. maybe a restaurant didn't quite make the cut for best new restaurant, but maybe it has the absolute best burrito in San Francisco. And so it's still getting its shine and we're still finding a way to talk about it. And then, of course, there are some restaurants that we miss, but I think that there are enough opportunities to cover restaurants other than this one list that I don't worry about it because if a restaurant's amazing and we can tell that it's getting better, we pay attention to it. And if it doesn't end up on the best new restaurants list, it's going to end up somewhere else. Mm. Um, So I guess if you're listening, pay attention all year, right? So we're preparing for Best New Restaurants, you know, the entire year. But we're also putting out all of this content. And if you want to know where to eat, you should just be reading. Fair. All right, we're going to finish out with a very fast lightning round. Great. I want terse okay. answers. I'm very terse. Very yes. terse. All right. Best thing you ate all year? The cauliflower that was rubbed in jerk spices from Khan. Mm. It was divine. Most surprising thing that you experienced or ate? One of the best restaurants, which is on our list, is Pija Palace. Oh, yeah. In Los Angeles. It is. Uh, I want that of, rigatoni. Yes. It is sort of an Indian American sports bar. Um, <laughs> and as, you know, a gay man, I can't pretend I've spent a ton of time in sports bars. And it was so great. I didn't watch, you know, a minute of TV, but it was just a delight. So fun. How many restaurants do you think you and everybody else reporting this feature ate at in total? More than a hundred. Wow. And then it all sort of goes black and my eyes start twitching. <laughs> I have no I have no idea, Chris. There hundred plus, we'll say. How many cities were did people travel to? Many. A staggering number. This is where I this is where I really should have come in and crunched some math. But you know, this is not quite a terse answer, but we really, really called on our team this year in ways that we maybe haven't in the past. It became really a team effort, the scouting. And so we sent out a large portion of our editorial squad 
Um, yeah, like even I ate at like a couple places exactly. that were up for consideration. And don't say even fun. I. You're a big deal. Chris. No, I, yeah, I I don't know. I like I'm glad I'm not in charge of the list. I don't know that not everybody can handle that kind of responsibility. <laughs> well, well, thank you, but no, we we sent people all over the place. Yeah, um, and it was a relief for me because you know then I didn't have to go every single place. And it's it's nice to see, you know, different people's perspectives. But yeah, we really, we really like crisscrossed the map this year. Nice. What's the most, what is the number of, what, what, <laughs> <laughs> what are the most? I feel like I'm I about to get an algebra question. No, I'm, I'm like, oh my God, this is like trigonometry. Um, no, what is the biggest number of meals you've eaten in one day? I think. Like when you said like you've seven. eaten three dinners. I'm like, serious, yeah. You're serious, I'm and I totally just want to make sure people know that you're serious, because I know you're serious, but, like, I can see the steely glint in your eye right now. Maybe they can't. Yes. Like, you're being dead serious. So you're saying seven. I think around seven, right? That would look like, you know, a breakfast, maybe sort of trying to hit some lighter kind of cafe bakery in between breakfast and lunch, because sometimes when we're scouting, too, it's not just restaurants. I'm also curious, even if I think a place doesn't really you know, constitute like a full restaurant, you know, as consideration. Maybe it's a really interesting bakery and we still want to know. So maybe it's a breakfast, a bakery, two lunches, <laughs> and then three dinners. Well, three that would be... dinners. Yeah, something around that. I mean, at that point... Does dinner number three even stand a chance? Well, one thing I've learned since I started this job, and it was totally foreign to me before, is portion control. Okay. Like, I am not someone who stops eating when I'm full. And so my first few meals on the road were really challenging because, you know, especially if it's a best new restaurant and I'm actually loving it, I just eat. Yeah. And I'm prone to ordering most of the menu <laughs> because that's the right way to tell if a restaurant is good. Yeah. Try and, it all. But I want to be fair. And you want that third restaurant to stand a chance. And so I try very, very hard to order light if I know I'm having three dinners. <laughs> But no, I mean, no, nothing stands a chance on third dinner. You Hear know. that, folks? Order light if you're having three, three dinners. dinners. <laughs> you yeah. heard it here first. That's bleak. <laughs> I think we got to end right there. <laughs> well, thank you, Chris. Elazar, this was a true delight as always. And um, yeah, I, I honestly, I, I, I hear you. It's fun to think that like we're in conversations with restaurants about restaurants all year. You know, while this list represents a certain time and place in, you know, kind of dining out in America yeah. right now, there are stories we want to be telling all the time. And um, yeah, anyway, looking forward to continuing at some point. Likewise. Thank you so much. Thanks again to restaurant editor Elazar Sontag for joining me. If you have a dinner emergency on your hands, write to us at dinnersos at bonappetit.com or leave us a voice message at 212-286-SOS1. That's 212-286-7071. We might choose your SOS and put you on the show. You can find the recipes from this year's best new restaurants, plus the archives from years past on the Epicurious app brought to you by Condé Nast. Just search Epicurious in the App Store and download today. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on your podcast app of choice and hit that follow button so you never miss an episode. Dinner SOS is a Condé Nast Entertainment original podcast. I'm your host, Chris Morocco. My guest this week is Elazar Sontag. Our producer is Michelle O'Brien. Peyton Hayes is our associate producer. Cameron Foose is our assistant producer. Jake Loomis is our studio engineer. 
Amar Lal makes this episode. Next week, Brian and Claire like the way they make salmon. They're good at it. But we just like have cooked some variant of that throughout like our entire dating relationship. And we need some new way to have fish and enjoy it again before we kind of get sick of that. I had someone email me a few months ago, and they had read some old BA guide to the best donuts in the country, and they had spent years Stop. tracking down all of them. Oh, so I love that. People do really use our restaurant lists as these resources. Hey, listeners, Chris Morocco here. If you find yourself in a dinner crisis, the Epicurious app comes to the rescue. Not only will you unlock over 50,000 recipes from Bon Appetit and Epicurious, but you'll also receive daily personalized recommendations based on your unique preferences and dietary needs. Head to the Apple App Store and download the Epicurious app to kickstart your seven-day free trial today. Don't miss out on this culinary adventure. Start your free trial and let the Epicurious app be your kitchen hero. Happy cooking.